Hello. Okay, so um, I do, this is an exercise I love to do with groups of creative people because it has, I've been in public radio since I was 19 years old. That's a long time. Most of you, I'd say at least a third of you have not been alive that long, which is totally cool with me. So we, um, in that time, I've seen so many people invest so much time in so many ideas that never had a chance to survive. And over the years, I've watched this and I've tried to create a number of things that happen during a development process for a new idea to save people from falling into the traps of bad ideas. And the most common thing I see with new ideas is that people don't really, this is gonna sound silly, but people don't really know what they're making. They've never really thought about it well enough to actually make it and make it well. And a lot of good ideas that failed, failed because of this problem. So just so I understand the room, by a show of hands, could I see how many of you are already producing um, a podcast or a radio show or an extended series or something that's bigger than just one piece? Okay. Um, keep them up for a second. I, there's no right answer to this question. Has anyone ever done any exercise with me or people who do this exercise with them? Does anyone? No? There's usually one or two, which is fine. Um, uh, uh, that's good. This is all new to you. Um, uh, how many of you have a new idea you're thinking of? Like, you're like, boy, this would be really useful for my new idea. Very good. Okay, so we're actually do some work in this session. Uh, this is the one session where you're going to be encouraged to use your phone. <laughs> Outside of tweeting, this guy is so boring, right? <laughs> so so um, another thing about this is I know what I want to cover. I don't know what I'm going to say. And I do, it's, it's true because I do this exercise quite a bit. And the thing I love about it is I end up talking about things I never imagined I would talk about at the beginning. So it's just as we're going through and things pop up, I'll throw them in. I like to leave a nice big chunk of time at the end for questions because I think that's where people get a lot of value out of me is they can, and you can ask me anything. You can ask me about what we talk about. You can ask me about whatever you want. I'll tell you about the infield foul that ruined this World Series for the Cleveland Indians. I'll talk about receiver-focused media theory, whatever you want to talk about, or how we work and do things, or how I made certain shows. Um, uh, happy to talk about anything. So it's like free-for-all question time when we get to that. So we're going to leave a lot of time for that too. But we are going to do this exercise. I'm going to walk you through what it is, and then I'm going to show you examples of it, and then I'm going to make you do it. So. This is, the, when I say the only 10 words that matter, the thing is about that title is there, the words that are your 10 words are different than your 10 words are different than your 10 words. And the reason they matter is that most groups, especially groups and most people, when they start off, I'm going to produce this podcast, produce this show, or I've been producing this show for years sometimes, they can't answer a simple question. Describe your idea in 10 words or less. That is really, really hard, okay? Um, and there's some twists to it, which we'll, which we'll work on. So I wanna tell you a story about doing this exercise. One of my favorite stories about doing this exercise, a couple of people who work on Outside In, it's a podcast from New Hampshire Public Radio, are here at the conference, they're not here with us now. I told them I was gonna talk about them, so they probably are avoiding this. Um, so New Hampshire Public Radio, while I was still at NPR, asked me to come to help them. They had been working on this new show concept for outside in for about 10 months. They just felt like they were spinning their tires. They weren't really getting anywhere. So I said, great, I'll come in. And I said, when I arrive, I want you each to have already written describing your show in 10 words or less. And guess what happened? These four people working for 10 months on this project were describing four different shows. It's really common. They all thought they were doing the same thing. They would argue about what pieces to do. They would argue about the editorial voice of the show. They would argue about, um, like, is this one of our sh stories or is this one of our stories? And the reason they were arguing is because they all thought they were producing a different show. So the first thing we did is we put all their stuff up on dry, dry race boards. This is, you can't, don't expect to read this. Just as an example, we put them all over. There were actually three different dry race boards and we filled them all with words and phrases. Um, they really were interested in talking about the environment and the out, and outside and life, not just policy, but life in the outside world. And they just, they, they get hung up on things. We spent two and a half hours coming up with a phrase they all could agree on. And they would throw things out like we were, they, we didn't want to talk about the environment 
because if you mention the word environment, they didn't want environmental or environmental to be in their statement because that's a very loaded word. You know, they didn't want to talk about policy because frankly, who wants to hear about policy? And they were really scared of even mentioning the environment because um, I don't know if you've listened to several shows in public broadcasting and in podcasting about the environment, but they're deadly. They're depressing to listen to. Who wants to hear that? Right? And it's all very politically locate, loaded. So he's been, and, and plus they had like ideas all over the place. I'm like, there's some unifying theme here. Let's find it. And it's hidden in here about the natural world and how we use it. And that was the phrase that we all could agree on. And they still use it to this day. And the, it's not about creating a marketing slogan, though many people end up using these as marketing slogan. It's not about creating copy that you'll say in the, in the billboard or opening of your podcast or show, though you can use it that way and many have. It's about having a phrase that you can say in a breath that describes your show and nothing else in the world in a way that provides you a common vocabulary so that you can say, here's a show about water rights. Is that about the natural world and how we use it or not? Yeah, it is. There could be stuff about some law or some argument between two environmental groups. You know, maybe it doesn't fit that. Maybe that's not us. And so it becomes, the first time I ever did this was a show called Tell Me More that NPR produced for a number of years. We were, we were working for a year and the show just couldn't figure out its voice. And the only thing that they could figure out was basically it was whatever Michelle Martin wanted to do because she was the host and she got to make the call, which is totally cool. But it was, we kept working on this and working on this and working on this. And eventually we sat in a room, four of us, this tiny little room, and we, came, we wrote the, 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 the statement that was for Tell Me More. It was more than 10 words. But as I've worked on it, I've realized you have to have the discipline to get it down that short. Um, a show I worked on, uh, helped develop when I was at NPR, a show called Invisibilia. I'll tell you another story about them. Um, when we launched Invisibilia, we did a lot of very strange things. One of them is we asked all the radio stations in the country to basically sync up their broadcast schedule with our podcast schedule, which is something that had never been done before. And people were very resistant to it. So we had this webinar and I'm leading this webinar, and it was supposed to be me talking for a while, trying to sell stations that this show was worth doing this concept. This is before anybody had ever heard it. Um, and then Elise Spiegel and Lulu Miller, the two hosts, were going to come in and talk about the show. So I'm sitting there, and I'm talking, and I describe Invisibilia as a narrative journey through the invisible forces that affect human behavior. And blah, 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 blah. A couple minutes later, Elise walks into the room where the webinar is happening and sits down. She hadn't heard me at all. And then the moderator of the webinar says, Elise, how do you describe invisibilia? And she said immediately, I describe it as, a, as the, a narrative journey through the invisible forces that affect human behavior. Five minutes later, Lulu Miller, who hadn't heard any of this, walked in. And she said, well, when I'm talking to my friends about this new show, I describe it as a narrative journey through the invisible forces that affect human behavior. And everybody started laughing. It, and it wasn't like, it, it was purposeful. We had spent many conversations describing that show and providing that filter, which everything had to pass through. If it was an invisibilia story, it was because it was this. If it wasn't this, it was somebody else's story. It belonged somewhere else. And we had the discipline of repeating it and talking about it and using it and reciting it almost like you do scripture. Uh, in order to reinforce this idea that that is what we are. So this is where you get your phones out. There's an important step you do before you write, which is you figure out who you're talking to. I would like you to go to images.google.com on your phones, and you're going to come up with an empty box, and I want you to find a picture of your listener. You can put in any search term you want, but I want you to find a picture of your listener. It has to be one person who's the avatar. I'll show you an example. My last several months at NPR, I did a lot of research and a lot of writing and thinking about the future of NPR, and I went and downloaded that picture 
she was my avatar. When I was thinking, the, to me, the entire future of NPR was in this picture, which for some reason is a little squished. She looks a little bit more normal than that. Um, and I, whenever I would write, I would write looking. I actually printed that picture up and put it up in the wall in my office. And I looked at it like, you're who I'm talking to. I gave her a name. I wrote her a biography. Her name is Laura, 29 years old. She uh, um, worked for a communications company in Chicago, had a master's degree, and never listened to public radio. And, I, and basically, everything that I thought about public radio, I was capturing in a photo. So I've given you lots of time, and I've been blah, 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 blah. You're not going to show your photo? Has anybody found their photo yet? A couple people? Okay, I would like you to not, you don't have to tell the photo, you don't have to show the photo because it's going to be kind of weird because no one's going to be able to see it. Um, but I want you to tell the words you used to find it. So I'm going to start with you. I searched for suburban middle-aged woman. Suburban middle-aged woman. You found one? Okay, that's fair. Oh, yeah. Someone else? Yes. Record collector, very good. And you found a picture that you like? That you would, that's, that's who your listener is? In the back? Designer. Designer. And you found a picture that you like? Yeah, that, yeah good, good, good. Yeah. Female artistic smart. Female artistic smart. Yes. Oh, very good, very good. Another? Okay. Uh, in the back? Yeah. African-American deer hunter. Did you find a picture? Yes. Okay. What I would advise is save those pictures. This exercise comes from when I used to work at radio stations. The last time I worked in a radio station was 2004. Um, and uh, when I was there, and it's such an old exercise that I used to have people clip pictures out of newspapers and magazines. No, because that's where you get pictures of anonymous looking people, right? And, and I would make every person on my staff clip that out and put that up in their studio when they were recording and that when they were talking about music or they're doing news or whatever, I used to have them write to the picture, write to the pictures, what I would always tell them. The word choices, your ideas should be framed for the picture. That person represents a lot. So what I did, um, uh, I, I actually, in, in thinking about this session and kind of putting this information together, I thought of Third Coast and the attendees of Third Coast. And these are the two images I came up with. <laughs> Which, I, I, you're laughing because I did okay, right? <laughs> you know what my words were? <laughs> Podcast, public radio, ambiguous ethnicity, tattoo. <laughs> yeah, I kind of nailed it, I think, as you say. So, okay, so next part of the exercise, you can type it on your phone, you can write it on a piece of paper. I'm going to give you a little time in which I'm going to kind of vamp for a little bit. And I want you to write, you're describing 10 words or less, and every word counts in a way that distinguishes it from everything else in the world. I will show you some examples of where this gets screwed up. I will show you some examples of where it works. And as we share, which we will do later on, some of the phrases you come up with, I'm vamping, you're supposed to be writing, by the way, and thinking. Um, uh, I will uh, often, whenever I push back, it will be on two things. One of them will be because I can name you 10 of the things that you just described, right? 300,000 podcasts in iTunes, hundreds of public radio shows. How do you find a niche? Because I'll tell you something else while I'm vamping here. If you can't find a niche, you probably should let somebody else do their version of it. Right? The world already has one. Here's the, the second thing that I always push back on, and I'm sorry to inflict this on you. Here is a list of 30 words you are not allowed to use. It is amazing, astounding, awesome, beautiful, best, brilliant, classic, compelling, curious, diverse, extraordinary, fabulous, fantastic, fantastic, fascinating, great, incredible, in-depth, lovely, outstanding, quality, remarkable, sensational, spectacular, stunning, superior, thoughtful, tremendous, unbelievable, unique, and world-class. The reason you do not allow to use these 30 words is because they have no meaning whatsoever. <laughs> I just added diverse this morning. I have committed a huge part of my professional life and my personal life to understanding diversity and what it means in this country. And I will never allow someone to use that phrase in describing something because it doesn't have specific meaning. You could drive a truck through what I think of diversity and what she thinks, 
but he thinks you have to be more specific. If you find yourself gravitating to any word on this list, there's a simple solution. Why? Why is it thoughtful? How is it diverse? Why is it extraordinary? How is it world-class? You have to remove that, what I call the empty modifier. You have to remove the empty modifier and put in place the answer to why is it that thing? Because what happens is people use these easy words and I'm still vamping, so you should be writing if, you haven't, if, you're, not, if you're not working on it, your 10-word statement. Hmm? Whimsical, I always hated whimsical. Yes, when I was at NPR, I, had, I would strike that word anytime I saw it in a promo or, or descriptive copy or these exercises. Again, with a lot of these modifiers, why is it this way? Rather than just, it's too easy to just describe it as this, as this way. So, how you doing? This is hard, not everybody's gonna get this, but you'll get started. I'm gonna buy you some more time. I need to give an example. Uh, these are all shows that I have created and that have benefited from various versions of this exercise. Ask me another. If I, you ask in a phrase to describe ask me another, it's an hour of puzzles, word games, and trivia. Describes it, nothing else in the world. Another example, TED Radio Hour. This, this was before we put the 10 word limit on TED Radio Hour. Um, and we did this at a table before we had a staff, before we had hosts, before we even really knew what we were building. It was three people at TED and two people from NPR sitting around a conference room. We said, what do we want to build? And we came up with fascinating ideas, astonishing inventions, fresh approaches to new problems, and new ways to think and create. That's actually 14 words, so it violates that part of it. But, you know, TED, TED Radio Hour, some of you may have heard it, take TED Talks and then it, kind of crack open the idea and explore it with the person who did the TED Talk, putting a narrative structure around that. Um, TED had tried for years to figure out how to do some sort of audio thing and that was really the th thing that worked. And the reason it worked is because we took time to think beyond, let's come up with a radio show for TED, right? And we said that because they had tried several experiments over the years in doing audio, it never really worked. So, well, that's, here's the problem. And I said, let's sit down and figure this out first. If we can figure out this first, and we know we can work together because we share a vision. And I tell you, there's probably no two organizations in the world with bigger heads than TED and NPR. And to get them to work together well was it started with having a shared understanding and a common purpose. And then every decision we made in how to produce the show had to live up. It's got to be one of these things. And it's got to answer one of these questions. Um, at Audible, we're working on this massive project that's taken us 13 months to do, um, which is, use, which is uh, called West Cork, which will be out hopefully if we finish it, ever finish it, in February or March. And uh, we were having trouble at first, kind of, uh, kind of aligning and figuring out what story to tell. Um, and it, we ended up settling on an unsolved murder exposes the underbelly of the, a rural <laughs> Irish town. This statement became so important that we renamed the series. It used to have a different name. We decided to name it after the town, West Cork. Because what makes it different than a lot of, you know, in a world where you cannot swing a dead cat without hitting a crime podcast or a radio series that's trying to be the next serial, there's how do you make yourself different? And the way we say ourselves different is not by focusing on the victim or the perpetrator. We focused on the town. Because West Cork, Ireland, is known for its blow-ins, is a phrase they use. Um, they, uh, 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 in, in blow-ins are people who kind of end up in this seaside town in Ireland, which is very seasonal in the summers. Lots of people go there because it's very pretty. And only about 600 people live in the town throughout the rest of the year. And they're a collection of people who came and never left, or people who are running away from something and so on and so forth. And this crime, which has never been solved for 20 years, happened um, in this place where there hadn't been a violent crime in a hundred years, Michael Collins was killed there. That was the last time that someone had been murdered in West Cork or, her, or, or killed in West Cork. And um, you know, people didn't lock their doors. All of a sudden, this heinous crime happened. And it just is like turning on a light and watching what scatters. It was like this whole underbelly of this town. It was exposed. And that became our framing principle. 
So with an unsolved crime where there's tons and tons of information, you know, 600 people live in this town, all this history that goes on around the people and so on and so forth, the way we sorted it all out is every detail we put into the 13 parts, it's almost, it's, I think it's over eight and a half hours is what we're doing, it, doing now, of material. Every sentence has to live to this statement. If the information doesn't serve that idea, it doesn't belong. A new project I'm working on with, with Ted, called Sincerely X, you may have, it's just kind of bubbling up in the world. It's gonna be coming out in January. Three word statement, anonymous TED Talks. Once we came up with this statement, or actually kind of while we were coming up with it, the producer and I spent th two hours discussing what each of those three words means. Because we had done some piloting and it wasn't working because it was basically someone interviewing this person who was doing this and not, basically, just to give you a little bit more information, Sincerely X, when it comes out, will be a series of 20 anonymous TED Talks. When someone gives a TED Talk, they get a book deal and movies are made of their life and they become a lecturer and they become very famous, right? There are stories in the world where that can't, the person that wants to tell that story can't have that happen to them. And so what we're doing is using the anonymity of audio to kind of create this safe, anonymous space. And, but you know, the, people know what a TED Talk is. A TED Talk isn't an interview, right? And so this interview thing wasn't working for us. We're trying to figure out what worked, what anonymous means to us because we can't promise anonymity. And you know, radio is an intimate medium and we're actually trying to use radio to flip it and do the opposite or audio is the opposite to be actually, a, to give you distance from somebody. So I hope you're still working on your statements. This is, I've got one more. I give you an example uh, from Hidden Brain, which is a project I worked on a little bit uh, at NPR before I left and then launched a number of months later. I'm a big fan of it. Um, one thing that I'm not a big fan of is what they did to their statement. Um, this, I, I didn't have time to look up what the original statement is, but I recognize this is, this is something they actually say. Um, uh, tr triggers is in here somewhere. Triggers the direct uh, course of our relationship and um, uh, unconscious patterns was part of it. But, but it, it, uh, I, and I love these guys, and I love this podcast, so it's not like I'm making fun of them, but I don't like the hidden brain helps curious people understand the world and themselves. How many tens of thousands of things could you use to think to describe themselves that way, right? So why is that there? Get rid of it. It's just in the way. There's a 10-word statement in here, and it just needs more, more focus, right? Okay, who has their... Ten word. Okay, question in the back. You're ready to go? Okay, stand up and say it loud and proud. Well, and should I say that I will give feedback on these as we're doing them, and anybody who stands up and gives it is brave in my eyes, right? Okay. Examining, say it one more time. Examining modern issues of inequality through the lens of history. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> Read me the first five or four words again. Examining. Modern issues of inequality. My feedback to you, ah. modern issues of inequality could use a little brushing up. Okay. I don't know what that means. Okay. If you handed me three things and I saw, and he said one of them is modern issues of inequality, I don't know if I'd be able to tell you what it was. It's also, and again, you're trying to be hyper-focused because that discipline, look at every good show you know, they may not have done this exercise, but they think that way. They know what they are doing. And oftentimes it took them a lot of trial and error to figure it out. Um, why not skip over the trial and error? Or just even make that path shorter. So very brave. First one. You, sir? Uh, Hold on. Okay. Now we got a microphone just that, so you don't have to scream it. I'm a former therapist with couples and uh, now moving into the podcast world. So this is, um, it's called Elephant Talk, Breaking Taboo in How We Talk About All Things Relationship. Okay. Nice. But from the hit me, session, hit that's me. really good. But come on, come on. It doesn't tell me anything. Yeah. Okay. Right? How is it breaking the taboo? Answer that question for me now. Um, saying all the unspoken things that happen as a couple. 
That's, you just, that's much better what you just said, right? Okay. So a lot of times it's just think a, think a level deeper, think a level deeper, think a level deeper. You're brave. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go next. You know, can you hang that over to the woman? Go get somebody, you meet in the middle or something like that to, to pass that over <laughs> and knock this guy down in the process. <laughs> okay. Our, uh, our podcast is called Third Base and um, the tag I just wrote is stories about sex beyond missionary position and within human nature. <laughs> That's not bad. Okay. I, I, I would. Uh, I, I think you don't need the end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because um, again, it, it doesn't really tell me much. It just seems like it's like we're doing this and then all this other stuff. I uh, either drop it if I were you, or I would figure out what, what how you want to use those three words. Three words okay. are like precious. Yeah. You know, like, like like that's a lot. You can say a lot in three words. So how? So you may want Great. to deploy them elsewhere. Great. Right. You're very brave for doing this because this is. I like I said when I do this with a group, we usually set aside a morning to puzzle through this, and we just keep going over and deeper and cut and deep and cut. The gentleman over there has been very patient. Can you pass the mic to him? Origin stories of artistic masterpieces and how they changed us. Say it again. Origin stories of artistic masterpieces and how they change us. Or how they change us? Again, I think, very good. Um, I, it's, it is very good. But how they change us, I think, doesn't tell me enough. Right? You start off really well, just like this, like this uh, young lady did. You start off very well. And then that how they change us, you could use those three words elsewhere to get very specific. It could end up being a different version of the same thing, or it could be uh, kind of going back to the beginning and tacking them onto the beginning for talking about, like, how do you talk about them? or How do you explore them? Those type of things, right? Three words, I would tell you. It's, it's hard. I'll pass it up here. We'll get some people here, and then we'll get over here. OK? So the name of the, woo, this is loud. The name of the show is The Holy Holy Podcast, and it's Faith Tradition's Practical Wisdom for Life's Big Questions. Do it again. Faith Tradition's Practical Wisdom for Life's Big Questions. Okay. Um, there's, say it one more time. I'm sorry. I I'm going to take out the word practical because okay. I think that's not helping. Okay. Well, that part is not working, yeah. but we'll, go the, we'll get there. And let's revert. Should I change an order? Is that going to help or just say yeah, I, I, Give it to me one more time because okay. it's really in my head. Faith traditions, practical wisdom for life's big questions. What's practical wisdom? Applicable. Yeah, is it too much? Okay. It, does, it doesn't tell me what that means. Okay. Um, and life's big questions, you could come up with three words that a lot describe life's big questions in a different way. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it being there, but it needs, it just needs a little bit more. Oh, We're fine. So, right? Well, similarly related, maybe. Um, this is the infancy, the working titles, religiosity, and unlikely stories of religious belief from the perspective of someone raised without it. Unlikely stories about religious beliefs belief from the perspective for- of someone raised without it. Okay. It is. Think some more. It was 10. <laughs> <laughs> I just added two. Can we, can we pass over here and we'll work our way back through here? You people are all being very brave in doing this. Usually I don't get this many people who are interested and I'm, or got that far. So go ahead. So this is actually for an existing podcast. Great. Newish. It's called Whose Century Is It? Uh-huh. And the tagline is Ideas, Trends, and Twists Shaping the 21st Century. Yeah, that's good, but. Um, by whom? It, it seems like there's a there's I don't by whom and whose ideas. Well, exactly. That's what the podcast explores. So uh-huh. it could be nation states, it can be groups, it can be individuals, it can be technologies, it can be movements. It so, sounds really broad, and I think sometimes you're picking language because it, go ahead and pass it back. Don't you have to stand there while I'm talking at you? Um, uh, sometimes we're talking about things that are far too broad. And that, you know, think again, think to all the shows you like, they find a nerve and they pinch it, right? They don't go like, they don't like grab and shake your entire arm. They find one nerve and they pinch it. And that degree of focus is how you go for it. It's, it's, the reason I like this exercise is it really channels people's energy and focus a group of people so that they're going as far as they can in this direction rather than going not as far in a broader sense. And to me, it strikes me, either your concept, it may not be your words, it may be your concept itself. You know, to grow more is to just say, okay, I only care about this slice of this. 
So not being so generalized and broad. Just some thoughts. Okay, who got the mic? I did. All right, there you go. Uh, this is fucking terrifying. Um, so the show, this, this is also out there, but I've been dicking with the uh, tagline. It's called uh, Raw Data, a show about how Silicon Valley is changing relationships between people and society. Okay, so tell me a story that happens on your, your show. Right. Uh, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, ooh. Uh, somebody finds out they're sick because of their digital history. Somebody find, finds out things about themselves from their digital history. That they didn't know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it really is about how our digital histories reveal who we are. Hmm. That, you did a better job your that second time, too. That better, yeah. That came yeah. out. Yeah. So second, that's not uncommon also for a film to say, well, what I'm really trying to say is this. Yeah. Then say that. Right. <laughs> Very good, though. That's actually a really good one. Uh, podcast is called Changing Our Stories. Uh-huh. Stories of personal transformation from the Mountain West. Personal transformation from? From the Mountain West. Personal transformation from the Mountain West. Okay. I get it. Good. Pass it on. Uh, the podcast name is called Some Noise. Uh, ten words or less. Conviction, finding conviction in society's fringe that challenges the status quo. One more time. Finding conviction in society's fringe that confronts the status quo. Uh, that sounds like a good concept, but it sounds like you could use another, like take the zoom lens in a little bit more. Okay. Um, but it's, you did a good job of describing something to me that again, sounds very, very broad. You know, um, a, a lot of times when we're creating, this is hard to do for people who already have a show because they're going to give themselves as wide a lane as possible. Um, and, and whenever I work with anybody, like all the shows that you saw me put up there, um, I really push them to no, 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 get, get, really kind of take that camera lens, get it as sharp as you can, and put it in as close to the subject as you can. Um, that, to me, is where you find success. Again, it's all about channeling energy. You have that clear statement in that little tiny tube. You know, you force it through, you force all your creativity and ideas through that tube, and it's gonna shoot out the other side. Does that make any sense? I hope so. All right, another one? Yes, ma'am. Uh, hello, Chicago, this is Helsinki calling. <laughs> Here are our points. Uh, we are work. We are five people working uh, as uh, news broadcasters in radio mm -hmm. for Youth Channel. We have exploded the whole uh, thinking of uh, making radio news. So we don't make them every hour. We make them when we want them. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever. Anyhow, now we started with the wonderful world of podcasts, and uh, we have this umbrella idea about stories about reality with a twist. And uh, mine, um, I've got this five-part uh, series about evil, insects, politics, religion, art, and the human mind. That's 11 words, sorry. If, if I was working with you and you say, you can go ahead and sit down, you can pass the mic to somebody else. I think that um, if I was working with you, I would make you focus all your attention on the twist. Everything else you said is good, but what makes you, you, is that twist. And describing the twist, and that's probably all you need to describe. Being whipped by a domino? Being whipped by a... Domino? Domino. domino. Oh. I, like dominatrix. Dominatrix. Oh, yes. That, that's, that's it. But the, the twist of what, the, how the stories take a twist, that's really, and how you, that shows your, your perspective on the story and why you find it interesting. And I think that's really what makes you you. So, good. One more? Um, I don't like this, but... Uh, <laughs> We need to talk about our relationships with our weight. Uh-huh. We need to oh, that, oh, I thought you met you and me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm going to the NPR happy hour after this. I'm sure we can, uh, we can do that. The show okay. is actually called Weight, a Relationship, so mm -hmm. that it's sort of redundant. We need to talk about our relationships with our weight. Mm -hmm. That... How does that strike anybody else? I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. Other people have thoughts? I think it's, a, I'm, I mean, I'm interested in it. I think it's a, I'm very clear what it's about. Yeah, I'm like, what is my relationship with my weight? And why do I, why am I just about it? Let's find out more. Hmm.
No, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I hear that line, I think, wow, how they how they deal with that? Um, it's interesting. In a minute, I'm going to talk about uh, sender versus receiver focused thinking, which yeah. is something I tend to wax on about a lot. Um, um, but there's a it has a role in this, which I'll get to. So let's come back to that. Um, it's it's interesting. The first version of this exercise, which I started when we wrote the TED Radio Hour one and a couple of the other early ones, uh, ask me another one, was I would say to people, okay, imagine this. We get into the floor on the first floor of the building, and you're going to the fourth floor of the building, and you get in the elevator with someone you haven't seen for a while, and they say, oh, hey, what you working on? And you have the time between the first floor and the fourth floor to describe what you're doing. That's the way this exercise started, and we just decided to skip that narrative and just say 10 words or less. But you have that, I say you have 20 seconds to get through that. How are you going to, how are you going to um, uh, do that? And, um, what you described to me is a really interesting idea, but it doesn't answer that question. You know, if you got in the elevator and they say, we really have to have a conversation about our weight, they may have the same reaction I did. Okay. Does anybody else have one they really want to share? I, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll I want to give you two time. really quick. Okay. One may be too obvious. The podcast is called The Book Club for Kids. So uh -huh. the obvious one is the free podcast where kids talk about books. But isn't that redundant? <laughs> I mean, Kids that's talk question. about books. Yep. Kids talk about books. You just nailed it in four words. Okay. Don't need anything and else. I don't need to. Say, I don't need to say. Designed to turn reluctant readers into lifelong book lovers. Mm -mm. Thank you. Mm -mm. <laughs> Look at how great a statement that is. It's only four words. Kids uh, talk about books. Is that what it was? Yep. Let's see. I'm, I'm focused on talking. I'm not focused on retaining any information that falls out immediately. But boy, does that give you a great lens. So if I come to you and I say, R.L. Stein wants to be on your podcast. I'm like, sorry. He's great. Let's find someone else to use him. But he's not a kid talking about books. You know, uh, that's, it becomes a really, and it also, the, and I'll tell you, it's also in creative groups where everyone has a vision. It gets you out of arguing with someone about, I like this idea and you think it's crap and so we're gonna argue and see whoever's still standing at the end of the argument. Isn't it easier to have the conversation, well, does that idea really fall into the kids talking about books? You know, so it, it gets you out of arguing and you're talking about this thing, which is why we did the Tell Me More one, because everybody was arguing about what they thought the show was. We're like, well, let's put something up on the wall that we can look at that and say, is it that? Because we've all agreed to that. Right? Okay, uh, there's a gentleman who was standing up who wanted to share his. Uh, the, the podcast is called Scene on Radio, S-C-E-N-E -E on Radio. It exists. Uh, stories that explore how Americans live together and apart. So what happens in that show? What do you do? Like, tell it's, me a story. It's documentary, scene-based uh, stories about race, class, or, or that poke at those things. They're not like... It, it ranges from kind of more journalistic to more narrative or more kind of creative. Tell me a story but, that But the underlying show. relevant, most generally, okay, so a story about uh, a high school girls basketball team in suburban St. Louis in the months after Michael Brown was killed, where you end up hanging around for days and you get to know it eventually zeroes in on a friendship between a white girl and a black girl who are co-captains of the team and their friends but then you end up finding out there are limits to their friendship. Uh, the implication being that the sort of race and class thing is, um, gets in the way a little bit, limits that. So that's an example. Episode two. Um, <laughs> I, don't think what you, I don't think what you did is concrete enough. I okay. think that my immediate, where I immediately went to is about the word conflict, like conflict in communities, and, and then kind of working the rest of the statement out from there. Um, something, this isn't 10 words. I'm making this up. I may be describing somebody yeah. else's show. But like, um, conflict falls apart when people learn about each other, right? And, and that, to me, describes an editorial lens that you can look through, right? See, but it, it um, and, and that's, you know, how many times have you heard stories of that, right? And, and I may be describing somebody else's show, and if I am, I apologize. Um, but that kind of statement where you can say, yeah, we play with that idea. Then the, the, when we started Invisibilia, that narrative journey thing, 
the biggest thing we had that really caused a lot of tension among the team was are we going too narrow, right? And, and they've loosened that box up since a little bit to have very, very liberal interpretations of what that means, but even in their second season, almost everything they did could have fallen into that definition, right? And so that's kind of like, you know, something to think about with that too. And it doesn't have to be a full sentence too. So I, I want to take one more and then I have one more little thing to do and then we'll do question and answers. We can talk until we get kicked out. So oh, this okay. young lady. Um, so my podcast is called White Rabbit Story Hour. Mm-hmm. And the uh, um, words I came up with are stories told by strangers I've met while traveling. Stories told by strangers who met while traveling? Yes. <laughs> like, give me an example. Um, I'll ask somebody to tell me a memory around a piece of music. Um, I usually carry a list of questions with me and let them pick from that, or I pick from it, but it's like I ask them one question and then extract a story from that one question. Um, I'll give you an example. I mean, um, I'll say, tell me about the first record you ever bought, and um, they'll usually tell me about it and all the emotions that were surrounding it and how it made them feel when they bought it. It's very good, but what you just described me is using a memory to unlock a person, right? And, and, and that's, that's an idea. That's a specific idea, right? And I only do, I've done this for a long time, which is why I know how to get, to get that route. But all you did was listen to what you're talking about and then have it repeated back to you, right? Will you say that phrase again, using a memory? Um, using a memory to unlock a person. You know? You're good, you're good. All right. I've just been doing this a long time. I do, I do a lot. I mean, I, I lay bullshit on thick. I know what I'm doing. So let's go back to this one more time, and then we'll do some questions and answers, okay? Um, if, assuming you have any, and again, you can ask me about anything you want to ask me about. Why are these important when you're doing this? Because this, you know, I, I talked earlier about sender-focused rather than receiver-focused. My one criticism of this glorious conference and all these creators is it's very sender-focused meaning that the person who is sending the message, this is my art, this is my idea, here it is, world. And the criticism I get as a creator, which I happily accept, is I focus all my attention on the receiver, right? It makes no good, it does no good for your art to go out in the world to an audience less than it deserves. So I spend all my time with creative groups working on how do we take an idea and make it resonate for as many people as possible. You know, um, I'm gonna talk about invisibility again just because it's a great example of this. Elise and Lulu had never hosted before. They had never put together, you know, they both worked on shows before, but they'd never really done something new. And they both, Elise literally started an audio at This American Life, and Lulu literally started at Radio Lab, and it's the only world they knew. And there were a thousand ways that show could have gone sideways. It was the discipline of having the focus and always thinking about who are we talking to? And the, it sounds like a dorky idea, but I really would. I hope you still have those pages with your, with your pictures. That's a really important exercise. Keep that, save it, print it out. And when you're working on your idea and you're thinking about a story, think about them. Because that's how you get something that's, that's big. And you, know, you talk about good to great, it's focus. But good to great is also thinking about how do I make something that's going to move as many people as possible and still remain true to my, my vision of what I'm creating. So that's gonna, kind of it. Um, if you, um, we have plenty of time. So if you uh, want to ask questions about anything, you are welcome to. If you want to leave or get a head start, we will go through as many of these questions as possible and start with Barbara. Okay, hold on. Hold up, I gotta do my job. I I transitioned too quickly. Sorry. Um, I just have a question uh, that's kind of in reverse of what you're saying. I'd be curious to know how you explain or think about shows that um, are actually very successful, but Mm -hmm. for which we might have trouble coming up with those 10 words, and I'll tell you a couple that I'm thinking of, like Reply All. It says it's a show about the internet, but actually it's not really anymore, and yet it's very successful. This American Life, what are the 10 words that describe this American Life? I, I can't think of what they would be. 
Uh, well, you know, I already started off, I think it does start, still start off every show with our, we, we have a theme, we, we, uh, we approach, we look at several different stories that line up with that theme. But that's, that's, if someone stood up and said that, wouldn't you say like, I don't know what your show's about? <laughs> Probably. So I'm, I am actually, I'm actually curious how you would, just how you think about the fact that some of the most successful shows really don't have that thesis statement. I will answer that question. Um, uh, and it is such an exception that I don't really want anyone in this room to think it's worth repeating. Um, Ira Glass, PJ and Alex uh, Reply All, Jad at Radiolab, such clear uh, intellectual and editorial voices that what the show really is, is the world through their eyes or their ears, right? It's about them. And boy, that's a high, high, high bar. And remember, I, I love looking at Jad's kind of evolution as a radio person and really looking at what Radiolab was when it started, which is actually like a collection of other people's stuff. He was, like a, he was tasked with being like a DJ of other people's stuff, and it evolved into what it was. And again, like what I'm talking about is like how much of the create, like when we, when I, when I, well, the goal I had when I created um, Ted Radio Hour and Ask Me Another, we did it in the same year. And it was because we started off with like 20 ideas, we actually produced six and got down to, we wanted one and we ended up with two, which was great, right? And that whole process was meant to, you know, I looked at Wait Wait, which how old is, is someone here guess how old Wait Wait is? It's produced right up the street here on Navy Pier. 20 years, it is, it's actually like, I think about 17, 18 years. But if you talk to John Q. Public, they'll think it's like, five, seven, eight years old. Because that's how long they've, it's been stuck in their memories and been really good. It took a decade almost for that show to find its voice, right? What could we do to cut off the first couple years of that? And so when we did Ted Radio Hour, our goal was, let's make a hit and let's make it as fast as we possibly can. Let's learn quickly, fail quickly, and move on so that we can start with a clear idea of what we think this is. And you know, if you have 10 years to become Ira Glass or Jad Broomrod, Great. A lot of people don't have that kind of time. They have a little bit of time and a little bit of resource to start an idea. And if they can't make it work, you know, that may be a luxury of the past, I'm afraid to say. PJ and Alex started as a uh, little thing they were doing while they were on staff and on the media. And they had a long ramp to get that thing started. So, yeah, so that's a long answer to your short question. I was just, just to follow up, you hit on that, though. Um, <laughs> but you started saying there's so much competition, but, you know, This American Life, you know, and everyone, those are older shows. I mean, the very yeah, first show. Yeah, they're a very different world then. Like, yeah. the first show is like, we're the first radio or first podcast about race. Then that's all you have to say. Yeah. Because it's the first one. So, yeah. I, mean, I think that's why. Because, you know, Living you on know. Earth used to call itself the public radio show about the environment. Yeah. That's what they did. And they still think that. But they already did. So now. <laughs> This is a little bit on that same topic, but I mean, I'm also in a similar situation where I, my show has been going on for a while, uh, for six years, and, you know, for most of that time, I was kind of a one-man operation, so I, I did everything, so I, I was a little, it was, the, it was, the show was what I, whatever I liked, mm -hmm. and um, so it, it's a situation where I, I think that it, mine, I had very hard, very trouble, a lot of trouble doing the 10 words, and, and um, I think, you know, I think it's similar with John's situations, kind of, or this American life. It's it could be a lot of different things, and and that it's it's a, a matter of uh, it, it ends. What what distinguishes the show, any of these shows, is rather that rather than the topic, it's more of a tone, mm -hmm. and maybe that's not enough. I mean, I'm sitting, cause I'm sitting here thinking, I don't need ten words. I probably need to focus my show better. You know, like rather. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you I don't know, know if there is. You know, I think that if you know, I you know for as much grief as I get about creating things that are big and focusing on those instead of things that are small and boutique, which I, I love listening to. It's what I spend most of my time listening yeah. to. Um, if you like that and that works for you, that's, that's totally cool. There's nothing wrong with that. There's, my mom downloads a, a, a quilting podcast that probably has 14 women subscribing to it that all do quilting. Hey, hey, hey. some of us sold, you know? Hey, all right, there you go. You probably listen to the same one. And she loves this podcast, and everybody's happy. The host is happy. She's got her little audience. Actually, it's more than 14. It's a couple thousand, probably. Um, but uh, the, she's happy that she's got a community that she's built, and the people love it because they feel connected to information. So that totally works. 
And if you're doing a variation on that on a slightly bigger scale where you're like, it's the world through my eyes and there's this group of people who like to hear it and that totally works, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, if you, but the thing you'll see in common with the things that kind of escalate up are that clarity of vision. Everybody thinks it's resources and money that drives that, it's not. You look at the top, top tunes in iTunes, or the top uh, podcasts in iTunes, the thing they have in common is that usually they have a clarity of vision and a very, very high concept, right? And you'll see things in there that cost a million dollars to produce a year. And you'll see things that are in there that are done in somebody's bedroom, right? The thing they have is a clarity of vision. All right. Yeah, just wherever. I don't know. Okay. I win. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm struggling with this idea of picturing my audience. So the mm -hmm. picture that I pulled up was a couple of Mormon missionary men, and uh, young men. And, um, but the thing that I'm trying to do with my podcast is get people to listen to each other that wouldn't normally listen to each other by telling these personal stories that are so compelling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I want it to be about Mormons and not Mormons and all of the people in that community and the challenge for me is to get them to want to listen to each other. Mm -hmm. um, so how do I think about that in terms of audience? Um, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean by how you think about it by audience? Well, I don't know who to target. I don't want to just reach the Mormon missionary guys. I also want to reach the liberals who think they don't want to hear from the Mormon missionary guys. But the story is so compelling that they do. If you filled a room with your audience and said, one half of you go, the, the Mormons come over here and the non-Mormons go over there, which side of the room is going to have the most people on it? Can't be 50-50. The non-Mormons will that's, be more likely your, to listen, I think. That's your audience. You, know, you have to pick one. Yeah. It's like serving two masters. You know, you have to pick one. But that's the whole purpose of the thing. Like, I want people to, to bring okay. people together. I, I get that. Yeah. Right? Um, I believe in an echo effect with audience that you mm. shoot for, like you saw the future of NPR being one young woman. If I get her and I do things to do, you know, the, 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 the talk I used to always give, I used to put her picture up and I say, that's the future of NPR. And if we can get her, we're set. Mm. Because in getting her, we have done so many right things for so many groups of people that, that you're succeeding in a much, much bigger way. So. With you, it's not that the audience isn't important, the Mormon audience is important, but the things you do right to get the non-Mormon audience are probably gonna make it really also equally good for that audience too. There has to be a primary. There has to be, you have to pick one. That doesn't mean that you exclude the others, but there's a way to pick one and still serve multiple audiences. Hmm. My feeling. So in that vein of Seinfeld, where <laughs> we are living in this world of very specific niche this is a podcast for this, or this is a very specific thing. Um, that sense that I sort of like think of my show as genuinely being that show of nothing, where there's just range on a on a whole broad you know issue of topics. Granted, there's some sort of common common theme to that, but that sense that to be sort of bound by I mean this the idea that like okay if you come up with those ten words, are you are you like shackled to them or like what's the sort of the sense of how that relationship between the two. Because that sense of being defined, I, I don't think, I don't want to fill in a, a niche in, in, in a certain way. At the same time, I want to grow an audience. So I, I completely get it. But it's sort of that, that sort of that fighting, like I can't be defined by 10, like that, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense, I wasn't even sure if that's a question or not, but. Well, yeah. if someone could look at this exercise and say this doesn't work for me, that's fine. I, I just know this is how it works for me, mm -hmm. right? So I'm not going to invalidate anybody who wants to, or, you know, wants to think otherwise. You know, pod, you know um, if you look at Seinfeld, it always said it was a show about nothing. That was a, that was a red herring. It's actually a show about, you could describe that show in 10 words or less. How would you describe Seinfeld? The lives of four friends in New York City. <laughs> no? It's also friends. You're absolutely right. No, are you kidding? That's six friends in New York City. <laughs> All right, let's get some more in here and then just do a couple more and then we're going to go. Uh, could you just speak a little bit about using the um, tagline or mission statement uh, like after the creative process? So you were talking about marketing and, mm -hmm. um, you know, where. It, it leads where you in a lot of directions. It. it leads you in a lot of directions because the most common problem. I have, we, now that we're taking our shows at Audible, we're putting them out in the world, 
half my gray hair is from dealing with people who write press releases, who don't understand phrases and sentences. They only understand paragraphs and pages. I'm like, just say this. You don't have to say anything else, right? Describe it this way and then give some examples, but don't give me all this because no one's going to read that. You know, I'm the one, you know, the, the, the card I play at Audible all the time is I am the only person in the entire 850 people who work at Audible who has ever received a press release before in my life, right? And I'll tell you, let me tell you, what, it, gets, it gets like a half a second for me to read it. The time it takes me, if I print them out, which obviously nobody does anymore, the time it takes me to open the envelope, look at the headline, and put it in a trash can, then I'll stop myself and say, well, that sounds interesting. I'll, I'll, but it's kind of like, hmm, hmm. Hmm. And if you don't, ha you have a couple seconds. So this is really useful. I don't know, Isabel, do you find it useful for invisibilia? She's one of the reasons invisibility was a huge hit. Yeah. The logo that you saw there also came from that statement because um, we were working with invisible and uh, kind of the letters kind of pop out and the invisible forces. And um, I like to keep my press releases to under a page. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it was very useful. And I think it's useful for every show to have, you know, kind of a guiding uh, mantra. Yeah. It's, it's garbage in, garbage out. And if you put something that's not garbage in, you've reduced your chances of garbage coming out, but not eliminated it, trust me. So there was a question over here. Sure. And we'll do you and then one other, and then we'll be done. Uh, this is a 10 words or less question okay. because I'm with a therapist. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> so he said saying all things unspoken in a couple. Yeah. Uh, I came up with, I'm just curious um, what you all think. Um, the differences was exploring conversation through intimate relationships. Exploring conversations through intimate relationships. Um, do you hear a difference between these two? You can say, oh, this clearly, if you heard it, you could identify which one it is. Yeah, I would push, both of you would push for a little bit more cleaner yeah. distinction. All right. Um, it's very interesting. We are, we're, we're, I actually said someone else could talk about this, so I'm allowing myself to talk about it. You know who Esther Perel is? We're doing a series with Esther Perel where we actually are recording therapy sessions in a marriage and making them into a narrative podcast real the all the tape was recorded in the therapy session it's kind of it's kind of it's intense yeah oh yeah no when we first came up with this idea uh, my immediate re response was you are out of your fucking minds we can never figure out how to do this and two weeks later we had everything lined up to do it and there's a line of people at the door willing to have their sessions recorded it's crazy so go on with all the pitches that you probably receive, how do you tell people no? How do I tell people no? That's a really good question. First off, if you're to pitching me and you're more than 10, I have like probably, especially at a conference, I have like ADD at conferences. So I tell people, you're not gonna win if you pitch me at a conference, but you're welcome to try because it's, it's just too much going on and I've got about 15, 20 seconds. And if you can do it, great. Um, when I say no, I often say it's often because for us at Audible, this, do you want me to respond about Audible? Because I used to give a different answer at NPR, but I can give a different. <laughs> well, um, I'm not quite sure I can remember what my NPR was. Was it was probably that we only had the ability to do so many things, so we had to pick uh, ideas that we thought would have the biggest amount of impact. And at Audible, it's the size of the idea. The the roadblocks we have, you know, Audible is a walled garden, right? You have to be an Audible member, an Amazon Prime member, to listen for all of it for free that we do put some of it out, right? So we have to have an idea that is so good and so big that someone will say, I will go find that and get it. Because for all the roadblocks you have for podcasting, we have more. So what I often tell people that if, you get your idea, if your idea sounds like it could be a podcast that's not big enough for us, it's not wrong. It's just for us, it's the, we're the epic, right? The big idea, the difficult one to figure out. Right? And lots of great ideas I say no to because it just isn't big enough and that's not, uh, that's not a pejorative statement. So that's it. It's, you know, and I do get pitched many times a day, every day. I, not at this conference, but another conference I was at, a guy followed me into the bathroom. I'm like, you've got about 30 seconds, dude, and then I'm walking away. <laughs> so one more? Anybody else? Going once, 
this woman here and then we're going to be done. I've been sitting on my tagline. Correspondence from the heart. So what happens in that show? It is a letter read out loud. Some are fiction, some are not. And there's one, one relationship that sort of pops in and out. Two people that write back and forth. It's two people writing back and forth? Only occasionally. It's, that continues, but it's interspersed with real historic letters, current fictional letters, current non-fictional letters. It's so letters. Get, yeah. It's red letters. Yep. That's two words. Red letters, what makes it different than just red letters? Why is red letters good enough? Sounds like read letters, yeah. if you're looking at it. Mm -hmm. Letters from the heart. Yeah, the, the letters from the heart thing isn't enough, but it's, but I kind of get, you see, oftentimes people give so many clues when you say, okay, that, think, tell me more about that, they end up writing a longer version of what they really want to say. <laughs> a lot of people, when they do this, not say you're not pointing you out, a lot of people who do this, what they come up with sounds very slogany. And I really, I'm just like, kill that immediately. Like, that's why the empty modifier is there. It's to trick you into thinking specifically rather than to think like flowery language, which makes it sound amazing or great. So not that yours does, but it's a general fault. And with that, I feel myself getting hoarse. So I have reached the limit of my w willingness to talk. Have fun. I'm actually going to go over to the NPR happy hour there. If you have questions, get a beer in me there, and I give real good answers then. So um, it's wonderful. Thank you for coming here. I hope you have a great conference.